What's going on? It's your boy, Jevin LaFave. You can follow me on Instagram at Jevin.LaFave, on Twitter at JevinLaFave. You can find everything you need for the show at LeftSideHeavy underscore on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. This is a bonus episode um, due to Blue Wire um, transferring from Simplecast to Megaphone. I will uh, be unable to upload on my regular schedule, so I am uploading an episode Sunday night. So you're getting episode 42 a little bit earlier. Uh, I hope that is good with you guys, but um, following this week, uh, it'll be going back to the typical Wednesday episode. So, that episode might be a little packed, and some series might change in a whole bunch of ways. Might be going into, a whole, like, different series. It's, uh, it's gonna be a lot to cover, but, yeah, I'm gonna try and upload this for Sunday night, so that, you know, I kinda have something to give you guys this week. And it's just me, so... It's a solo pod, we'll see how it goes, I apologize if it can get kind of cringe, or boring, or just uninteresting, but I appreciate you guys sticking by my side and supporting me, and all all that sorts of jazz, so be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, it really helps the show, and there is going to be a giveaway I will be announcing by next episode. I, um, I'll be promoted in next episode, so it'll be up, ready to go, and just be on the lookout for that, and Tom, bring us in. Episode 42 of Left Side Heavy, the podcast presented by Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Jevin LaFave. You know where you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Find everything for the show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I am riding solo today. Just me, myself, and I. Turn that phone off. Do not disturb so I do not ruin the recording. But we will be covering the U.S. Open, some NHL, and NBA. I am recording on Sunday night around 8.30 p.m. So the Montreal-Vegas Game 4 just finished. Game 7 of Hawks and Sixers finished tonight. This weekend, the Clippers beat the Jazz. The Suns beat the Clippers. whole bunch of stuff to talk about. And, yeah, it's going to be a fun and entertaining show. And quick note, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I hope you guys had a wonderful day. On Sunday, at least where I was living, it was hot as balls. It was a high of 29 or something. My whole entire house is muggy and hot. So it was a it was a pretty tough day. Lots of water had to be consumed, but unfortunately, I didn't consume a lot. I had a Corona and a Budweiser instead. And yeah, shout out. But Paul Fave, you're the best. Thank you for everything you do. Got you a nice straw fedora hat for you to, you know, rock during the summertime while you're flipping burgers on your charcoal barbecue. So, you've been killing the game ever since 63 and ever since 99 and being my father. So, thank you so much for everything you do. Everything you've taught me along the way to make me who I am today. And, yeah, shout out to you. Happy Father's Day. Love you so much. And, uh, yeah, I hope everyone else's dads had a 
awesome day. Hope you guys gifted them well. But let's get into it. So we are going to start with the PGA because it was the headline sport this weekend. Man, there was uh, Torrey Pines. It looked like it played pretty tough. Um, seeing the winner, John Rahm, in the end, only being five under, it was seemed like it was harder than Wingfoot, you know. The rough was pretty standard along the fairway. The fairways were pretty narrow, but it was where it was the rough around the greens that really got people. It was I don't even know what type of grass it was, but it seemed like it was like ten times as thick as a s- standard blade of grass, and it just it got to people. You could see people were blading it, they were whiffing it. It was um it was tough, and the greens they were. At least from my observation on Sunday, they just like came to a dead stop. Every single putt that was made, it just like it seemed like it was gonna go past the hole, and then all of a sudden it came up short. And I was like, that was on pace to go in, and it just stopped. But yeah, there was a lot of um, quiet and unsuspecting leaders up top in the first few days, and then going into Sunday, you know, Oosthuizen. Canadian shout out Mac Hughes. They were um tied for the top and Rory he was up there. And yeah, it was a entertaining Sunday and I want to congratulate John Rom on winning the 121st US Open at Torrey Pines. He became the first Spaniard to ultimately win the trophy. So shout out to him. He was the favorite going in and it's not often that you see the favorite win. It's like I understand that's why he was the favorite, but usually the value that they put him at at nine to one, typically it's like the odds of that actually happening are slim. And he he came into Sunday tied for like fourth or fifth, and he shot an unreal round of golf. I believe he shot a sixty-seven four under, and yeah, he. He just did everything he needed to do. He was dialed in at the start. He first two holes, two birdies. And then he just he played pretty consistent at the end. He ran into some trouble like from third hole to fifth hole, but he recovered well. He made some up and downs and the worst he made was like a bogey and then he just went on a tear from there. And he just like his touch around the greens was unreal and some of his bunker saves and Around the green, I just talked about how tough it seemed to be over the weekend and going into it. That's all they were talking about was the rough around the greens and how they made it. And he just seemed to deal with adversity really well. And yeah, it was just, it was a great performance by John Rahm. And he just had that tragic news at the memorial coming off the green on Saturday that he got tested positive for COVID. And then a few weeks prior to that, he just had a kid going into the U.S. Open, and then now first tournament back at the U.S. Open, and he freaking wins it. So, yeah, this guy, he just had a fantastic weekend. And another guy that almost, he was aging like fine wine was Louis Oosthuizen. He was playing with the lead going into Sunday, and he just, he was playing a great game of golf. Just consistently make a bogey here, he'd make a birdie, double, he'd, make two birdies the next two holes like he always find a way to climb back until the end he was down by one going teen up into 17 john rums finished six under and 
Louis Hayson tees up. All he has to do is just keep the ball to the right. That's all he has to do is keep the ball to the right. And he hits a hook along or like more of like a hook draw along the left side where you don't want to be. And what happens? It takes a hop, hop, hop into the penalty area and he has to take a stroke. And that just killed him because he went on to bogey the hole, moving him from five under to four under, two strokes back. So now he has to eagle 18 and he ends up birdieing the hole. So that penalty costed him a potential playoff with John Rahm. If he had just parred 17 or even birdied it, he would have won the tournament if 18 ended in the same result that it had. So that was just a penalty that didn't, that couldn't happen. Just stick to the right side and he probably makes par on the hole. But he just, he couldn't put it, string it together. And it's just, it's crushing to see because at age 38 or 39, he was like having flashbacks from his younger days. And yeah, it was just so tragic to see. But Louis Ustazen, another runner up, I believe that's his sixth runner up at a major. And it, yeah, just so tragic. But Louis Ustazen, great weekend all around. And another guy I want to talk about is Bryson DeChambeau. He was doing so well on the front nine. And then, oh, tragedy. He, on hole eight, he nearly aces. Nearly hits an ace. It can't, If it was just an inch to the left, that's going in for an ace. And it could potentially change the whole entire round for Bryson. But unfortunately, all hell breaks loose going into the back nine. He gets a seven I don't I can't pinpoint the hole that he makes a seven but then he makes an eight on hole 17 he hit right next to a I believe like a Michelob Ultra empty beer case and that's just tragedy and blades it from a bunker shot right into the next planet and just an unfortunate like back nine for Bryson because he was playing well he had the lead and then the back nine really really crushed him and he almost was able to have bragging rights this weekend over Brooks and then that seven and that eight hit him and next thing you know he's sitting at plus three and Bryce uh Brooks is sitting at plus two uh minus two so very unfortunate ending to the U.S. Open for Bryson and Another guy that was stressing me out the entire round was Rory McIlroy. This guy is so good from tee to green. And then once it comes down to putting, he just can't score. He had four chances to make a birdie and co-lead. And he missed every single one. And then when it came down to clutch par putts later in the round when he's two under and the leader's like four under, he can't make the par putt. So he's now hitting bogey when he has chances like inside of seven feet to make a birdie or par. Like Rory, man, what is it with you? Like, I know I'm shooting like 110 every single weekend, but I didn't, I haven't, like you're held to such a 
high standard and you just can't bring it in when it comes to putting and it's just crushing to see you could have potentially you you should have won this tournament with the birdie chances you had you had four chances to take the lead or co-lead the u.s open and you missed every single birdie putt for that opportunity it's just rory man I love you as a golfer and you're so fun to watch. You have one of the, you have probably the most beautiful swing in the game and you just can't hit a clutch putt. And it's just man, it's crushing to see. But you got a top 10 finish. I don't know, I don't even know if you got a top 10 finish. I think you bounced out of the top 10 because you couldn't hit a putt. But man, it's I'm, obviously, you're going to bounce back. I'm sure you're going to win another major in your career. But, man, when you're putting like that and you can't even take the lead like four separate times, it's just like, man, are you ever going to get it done again? It's I want 2014 Rory back, like, sooner than later. But, yeah, PGA U.S. Open weekend. It was a hell of a weekend. And to f- top it off, Father's Day is always a great weekend to look forward to, especially with this event going on. But, yeah, congratulations once again to John Rahm. First ever Father's Day and he wins a goddamn U.S. Open. That's nothing to sneeze at. So moving on, we are going to talk about some NBA. And we'll uh, rein it back to um, we'll talk um, Clippers Jazz because that's the most recent series to end. Uh, Clippers with a 131-119 win over the Jazz, even without Kawhi Leonard. But it did not matter because... This guy, Terrence Mann, records 39 points in Game 6 and basically catapults them over a win, catapults them to a win over the Jazz. And this Clippers team, right when you think that you have them down up 2-0, they just always found a way to claw back. So shout out to the Clippers and they go on to play the Suns and that game was today and... The Suns, who ultimately swept the Nuggets, um, they uh, actually, no, we're going to, no, we'll keep talking about it, whatever, we'll stick with the Clippers, but Suns, uh, game one, Suns Clippers, uh, no Kawhi Leonard, no Chris Paul, so two of their leaders are um, out, so it's almost like a wash. Um, Suns end up beating the Clippers 120 to 114 with a massive help with a 40 point triple double for triple double triple double 40 13 and 11 and this guy's an absolute baller and he is going to have his jersey in the rafters for sure in Phoenix when he's all said and done but Suns and Four guy he was in the crowd hyping everybody up by the way that video is an absolute that guy was a beauty that's one of the most legendary videos ever and that video doesn't go viral unless the suns ultimately end up sweeping the knuckles because he says suns and four after sending eight uppercuts to this guy's face and yeah he uh sends him walking and suns and four suns and four and the suns ultimately end up sweeping the nuggets and man that's just legendary but we talked about that last episode with brandon goff but yeah devin booker uh 40 13 11 and let's not glance over paul george he pandemic p did end up playing a good game recording 34 points but it just wasn't enough um yeah suns beating clippers taking a 1-0 series lead but i mean 
I've seen some Twitter comments, and um, the Clippers are one loss away from being in their first finals appearance because against the Mavs, they were down 2-0, and against the Jazz, they were down 2-0, and they beat Mavs in 7 and Clippers in 6. So the Suns, you better keep the gas like pedal to the metal against this uh, Clippers team because they clearly do not back down once they are once they have an obstacle in front of them. But um, moving on, uh, Saturday night, yeah, Saturday night, Bucks versus Nets, game seven. This one was a big one because Bucks. This is Code Budenhauser, Your job's potentially on the line here. Giannis is your legacy. Are you really as good as you are as Regular season Giannis different than playoff Giannis. This is a big game. And this is a big opportunity to take advantage of an awful Kyrie Kyrie uh, sprained ankle. By the way, that thing folded like a lawn chair. So tough to see. But um, the Bucks take advantage of a Kyrie-less Brooklyn Nets team. And they ultimately win 115-111 to 111 in overtime, which was forced by a clutch. And when I say... When I say clutch, it is one of the most clutch shots I have ever seen in my entire life. Entire life. KD steps back. I believe it was on uh, Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday. And he is basically one clipped toenail away from sending the Nets on to the next round. But his toe is barely on the line and it records as a two-pointer. But with like one second left in the fourth quarter to save the season for the Nets. He hits that, and they are move on to OT, and it was a pretty low-scoring OT. It was like 6-2 to two in OT, and it was just like, it was very low-scoring, but James Harden, he had 22-9-9, but I mean, Giannis, he led the way with 40-13-5, but KD, it just ultimately wasn't enough, but man, that, that was a legacy moment for KD, because this guy has to be top two offensive players of all time. And he just—he's unguardable. His the ball at point of release is like 13 feet, and it's like, how do you stop that? It's like it's not fair at this point. But he, yeah, huge bucket for them, and it again, it just ultimately wasn't enough. Congratulations to the Bucks—they go on to end up playing the winner of this next series I'm talking about, which is the Atlanta Hawks, who eliminate. The Philadelphia 76ers, 103-96, with a big game leading the way. Kevin Herter, 27 points. Man, this kid shows up to play, but unfortunately I couldn't catch a lot of this game, so I have to kind of analyze this with a grain of salt. But the big talking point is Ben Simmons unable to show up once again. And B did everything he could. Ben Simmons, 5'8 and 13, unable to produce barely anything. Assists can only go a long way. At some point, you have to put the bucket in yourself. If you're going to be a true leader on a contending team, you have to be able to produce in big moments. And this, recording five points, you're not elite if you're only recording five points in a clutch game seven where your team needs to advance. Like, this is a huge bucket for you, and you just couldn't get it done. But. Yeah, so the Hawks eliminate the Sixers. A a quote after the game, Dave McMenamin, excuse me if I pronounced that wrong, 
Um, he asked Doc Rivers, quote unquote, do you think Ben Simmons can be the point guard of a championship team? Doc Rivers, I don't know the answer to that. Red flag, red flag, red flag. At least defend your guy. Like he just he knows he realizes so much that Ben Simmons can't lead this team that he can't even defend his own guy. Like at some point you have to like at least lie. Like at least say, Hell yeah, he can lead the team. Like he can yeah, he can do so much. Like he can lie. Just lie. <laughs> like you're you're basically pleading the fifth at that point, and that immediately thinks that it's the worst of the worst. As soon as you don't answer or even try to defend your own player, automatically it means like a no to whatever answer or a yes or whatever. Him answering, I don't know the answer to that. To King Ben Simmons be the point guard of a championship team is is a no. It's a no, and so. Ben Simmons, the future is pretty risky as a 76er. We'll see what happens. But I saw this interesting thing. Ben Simmons in the fourth quarter versus the Atlanta Hawks this year. In the series, in the series. Game one, two for two. Game two, zero for zero. Game three, one for one. Game four, five, six, and seven. He was zero for zero from uh, field goals. You're telling me in the fourth quarter you only put up three shots in the entire seven-game series? That can't happen. At some point, you have to drive to the drive to the rack, try to get a foul, try to get an end one. At some point, you have to produce on your own, and that's not fair to your team to try and rely on other people. Like, generate a goddamn jump shot if you're going to be a point guard on your team like it's only fair to them and fair to yourself and your future and your legacy as a player your reputation like try to generate a jump shot for crying out loud and try to make something i'd rather you go for one for 17 than zero for zero like try and produce something put something up put a prayer i'd rather you take five half court shots than nothing like for goodness sake like you have to try and help your team other than pass the ball or you're in mid-range motion, throw up a floater. Or try you got MB to rebound the ball for you. Throw something at him, right? Like, you got to try and generate offense to advance your team in a game seven. It's It baffles me every time I see this guy not trying to produce and just rely on other players of his team. It's... Yeah, it's it's uh it's baffling to me, but yeah, we got a big Bucks um Hawks series coming up. Man, it's uh it's going to be interesting because the Hawks, I feel like they're kind of the Montreal Canadiens of the NHL with obviously a bit more talent because they have a up and coming if not already superstar in Trey Young. But it's going to be interesting. You know, Drew Holiday is a pretty good lockdown defender. He'll be Obviously, I think clamping up on Trey Young, but that's going to be interesting to see. Um, maybe DeAndre Hunter and uh, Giannis, but I think ultimately in the end, the Bucks take the series in six games against the Hawks. I have them going to the finals versus the Suns, but this is going to be a very entertaining series because a lot of people had the Sixers moving on as the one seed in the East, and the Hawks eliminated them in seven. And yeah, it's going to be a very fun and entertaining series. 
I think, man, I really, yeah, I think the Bucks can potentially win a championship this year. I just, I really like what the Suns bring, especially when Chris Paul comes back. Devin Booker's been an absolute gamer this year, but yeah, Bucks and six over the Hawks. But I mean, if Hawks take this and six, I wouldn't be surprised because they've been surprising every team this year. So it'll be very fun to watch. Um, Blackberry Bubbly, shout out, sponsor the show. Love your drinks. But anyways, yeah, so Bucks, Hawks, Suns, Clippers, Western Conference Final, Eastern Conference Final. It's going to be a very fun couple weeks. And as for the Suns, Clippers, ah, man. It's going to be very interesting because I don't believe the Clippers have completely ruled out Kawhi Leonard for the series. All he said was that he wasn't traveling with the team with an ACL injury. Don't believe it was a torn ACL, but... It'll be interesting to follow that. But I think the Suns will beat the Clippers in six. And then, like I said with Alex Day on episode 39, I think the Suns will take care of the Bucks in seven. But, I mean, the Clippers, they've gone down 2-0, series one, series two, and they've clawed back to win. So it's going to be very fun to watch. Paul George is the X factor for me for the Clippers. Because if he doesn't show up, then who else is going to take the reins? You can't rely on a Terrence Mann performance every single series. And, I mean, if Kawhi's out for the the remainder of the series, it's going to be hard when Paul George isn't producing. So he has to continue to put up at least, at least 35, in my opinion, or no lower than 34 a game. Like, he has to come through. It's just... It's a must, and with the way Devin Booker's been playing, he hasn't slowed down since the series against L.A. He just hasn't. Even with Chris Paul in the lineup, that's even helped him more because now you got to look after Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and Devin Booker's just gone off. He didn't have his guy, and he recorded a 40-point triple-double. Like he's He has that Mamba mentality right now, and I don't think you're going to be able to knock him off his game unless you bully him, cause a bunch of fouls, force him to turnovers and then Paul George has to record at least 35 in order for them to have a chance so yeah it's going to be a very interesting series and I just want a competitive more basketball the better and the more chances I get to talk about it the better so yeah so I think Suns in six I think the Bucks will take care of the Hawks in six. But then again, I won't be surprised if um, the Clippers and the Hawks win. It's any series that is possible out of the remaining four, I wouldn't be surprised happens because they've all shown that they can battle adversity and they've made it this far for a reason. So that's all for the NBA conversation. Is there anything else you want to touch on? Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm by myself. So. God, that was a terrible joke. I'm so sorry for you listeners, but I'm not editing that out because, you know, you got to show the true side of yourself. And I've been known to some pretty cringe and attempting to be funny comments, so I'm going to keep that in. But this is why I'm your favorite podcast host, right? So shout out to me and uh, everything I do. One last bubbly drink. I got absolutely crippled on Saturday. And my hangover kicked in at 6.30 p.m. And I went to bed at 11. So that was my Saturday night. I shot a 96. 
at Golden Eagle South. So, yeah, let's um, go into some NHL talk. Now, this one, we will kick off with the Eastern Conference Finals between the Islanders and the Lightning. Now, the Islanders are a very interesting team to evaluate because when you look at the roster, you don't see any star-studded talent besides maybe Matt Barzell and maybe Ryan Pulak if you want to consider him a superstar. Maybe after Game 4, after that save on McDonough, but um, maybe you want to... But Matt Barzell, he's the cream of the crop of that team. He's the guy that everyone looks at and sees superstar potential in him. I think he needs to get out of that system for him to break that star, but... Man, I, he still finds a way to like generate some flashiness, and I still think that he can be um, a superstar in this league. But anyways, um, the Islanders-Tampa, they're currently tied 2-2 in the series. Game 5, I believe, is happening Monday night. So going back to Tampa, this series has been weird. So it's been you no know, 1-0 for the Islanders, and then the series tied up from Tampa, and then you see it. 2-1 Tampa, and then again you see now the Islanders have tied it 2-2, but um, Braden Point, seven-game goal streak, he's been absolutely electric factory this series, and it's it's just been so fun to watch because the depth on both teams is absolutely outstanding. You have that Cal Clutterbuck, Sezikis, Matt Martin line, and they just bully people and they find a way to get either a secondary assist or a greasy goal or spring someone on a breakaway who's kind of cheating past the D-man and puck glass, glassing out, and then next thing you know, it's a two-on-one. And it's the depth here is crazy. And then you have that Yanni Gord, Blake uh, Goudreau, and Blake Coleman line, and they're all over the place too. Lots of physicality. The pace is super high. And then the way Vasilevsky and Varlamov have been playing is unreal and the d-man on both teams it's been yeah it's been nothing but crazy and game four is where i really want to talk about because um it was just a lot was happening um i believe it was um forgive me here i need to find the score i believe it was 2-2 or no it was um what? So game four is where I really wanted to talk about because a lot of shit was happening. You know, the Islanders, they took a crazy, crazy three nothing lead and going no goals in the first and three goal second period. Nassau Coliseum was going bananas. But period three, man, Braden Point again. Like I said, seven-game goal streak. He makes it 3-1. And then the announcers are saying, you know, like 15 minutes left. If they can get another goal before the 10-minute mark, then this is going to be a very, very interesting game to track. And lo and behold, Tyler Johnson, he finds some time and space, goes into the slot and rips them top right. It's a 3-2 game, and we have an absolute hockey game to play. 13 minutes left in the third. Man, anything can happen, especially with the fly high-flying high Tampa team and the physicality and defense of the Isles, who can counterattack and score at any moment. So it was a very exciting game to watch. And then ten and 
I want to go back to the Victor Hedman penalty because, to me, I think that's one of the softest calls I've ever seen, especially in this situation. He slashes or just hits Clutterbuck's shin pads and he toe picks, and then you call Hedman on a tripping penalty? Like, in no way is it possible that Hedman tripped Clutterbuck on that play. Clutterbuck, in my opinion, toe picks no matter what. And you're taking Hedman for one of the softest trips I've ever seen in my life? I was not a fan of the penalty, especially in the playoffs. But, you know, they ultimately end up either killing the penalty or even going, instead of clearing it, they're trying to break out because they need a, they need a goal. You know, they're down 3-2. 10 seconds left. You know, nothing seems like... like Seems like nothing's generating. Puck comes to Ryan McDonough. He holds off from shooting and he spins. Spinorama from the high slot. Varlamov's basically at the blue line. He's so far out of his crease. And McDonough slides it. It looks like it's going in. Ryan Pulak comes out of nowhere. And he blocks the puck from going in. And seals the deal for the New York Islanders. 2-2 going back to Tampa. Typically, players go to goalies when the horn sounds. Everybody went to Ryan Pulak for that because he could have potentially saved the entire series. Imagine going down 3-1, going back to Tampa. Very low chance you are coming back from that. And, man, Ryan Pulak potentially changed the entire series with that block. And, man... Hang his jersey to the rafters because if they win that series, everyone's going to go back to that play by Ryan Pulak. Sacrificing the body, the awareness he had to get in front of the, to get in front of that. Mind you, it wasn't a Victor Hedman one-timer, but it was a huge, huge clutch block from Ryan Pulak. So very cool to see. And it's just, it's an absolute series, and it's going to be interesting to see how it ends. And Patrick Zhang, shout out to you. Did you hear podcast? Big Isles guy over in New York. Man, you were buzzing on Twitter after that win. And, you know, we bantered back and forth. But, yeah, what an absolute series this has been. And, man, yeah, I guess Tampa. But I said with Alex Day once again that I would not be surprised if Islanders ended up winning the series. Man, they're an absolute gamer's. They play the right style of hockey for their players and the way they just find a way to score and lock and clog the neutral zone. And yeah, it's just they're a very well coached hockey team. And Washington is kicking themselves in the shins for letting go of trots. What a dumb move by them. Hey, we finally won the cup, but now we're just going to not sign our coach. Like, that makes sense. But, anyways, New York Tampa tied 2 2. I think this is. In my opinion, going to seven, no doubt. But um, next series, Montreal Vegas. Man, this this is baffling. Like this is crazy. Vegas game one, they come out firing on all cylinders. They, you know, like Petrangelo has been an absolute the MVP in my opinion this series for Vegas, and they uh. Take a commanding win, 4-1 in game one. And a lot of the saves, Price was kind of hung out to dry, but there was a couple he could have had. Not his best game of the series, but, I mean, he was still making some clutch saves. And 
Montreal, man, if it wasn't for Fleury, Montreal was up one or two nothing early in that game. Fleury made some clutch saves. People are saying it's all price. But, I mean, Montreal has still been doing a great job applying pressure and capitalizing on chances. But, man, Fleury stood on his head in the first, like, 5-10 minutes of Game 1. And then Vegas, they were just a little too much for Montreal to get going. But Edmondson, his uh, comments after the game, he's saying he wasn't worried. He was just happy to be playing in front of a full crowd. And next thing you know, Game 2, Montreal comes out and they take Game 2. In Vegas's barn, they split getting home ice advantage for the remainder of the playoffs. And it's just like a clutch, clutch win. Because if they go down 2-0 to Vegas, man, they they are in trouble. Because you do not want, you just don't want to do that. The way, the energy that they play at. And the, yeah, it's just like you don't want to be down two games to Vegas. So, uh, clutch, clutch win by Montreal. I can't. I believe it was two one for Montreal in game two, but they are heading back to um, the Bell Center with a semi full crowd, thirty five hundred. You know that's that's enough for them because thirty five hundred passionate passionate Montreal fans is basically a full capacity and. 50, 60% of the ranks in the NHL. But yeah, game two, they ended up winning 3-2, my mistake. But man, it was huge. Like, it was huge to say it nonetheless. But game three is um, back in the Bell Center. You know, they haven't been this far in a while. And they go up one nothing with a beautiful... Cole Caulfield breakaway goal by assisted by Suzuki coming out of the box, and that was to tie it up. And Nick Waugh, he had like a gift from Eric Stahl to go up one nothing. I don't know what Eric Stahl was thinking behind the net. Here, uh, Waugh, you want the puck, and you can just like put a right past your goalie. There, yeah, here you go. I don't know what was going through his mind on that play, but nonetheless, he puts it out front. Wah intercepts, and he makes it one nothing. But Cole Caulfield, I want to talk about this guy. The energy this guy has brought to this team has been game-changing. He's like another... It really helps that he scored like four goals in seven games to going into playoffs. And then he, like this kid is so fast. He's so small, but he is... He's a jitterbug out there, and yeah, he's put he's given this team a whole new identity, and they're a lot more scarier and terrifying with him on the ice because he can generate a lot of scoring chances with that quick release and hard shot. But then Alex Petrangelo, man, this guy, this series, he's been, yeah, he's been an MVP to Vegas, and you know he scores a, a quick shot. Probably one of the hardest shots for a goalie to save, right above the pad, right below the blocker. But um, he, yeah, he scores to make it two one, and that was a huge, huge goal. Mind you, it was early in the third, so Montreal still had a ton of time, and it took him a whole like fifteen minutes to finally get one off of a. I don't even know how to describe it, but a gaff or a just a. I don't even know how to explain it, but Flurry, you know, he misplays it behind the net. 
Goes to pass it back, hits a skate. Josh Anderson, right place, right time, puts it in. And that guy has been absolutely snake bitten. He hasn't scored since the first game of against Toronto, I believe. I think game one of Toronto was the last goal he scored. And yeah, he finally puts one home. And then in overtime, he off of a line change gets behind the defenders and then does a old tic-tac-toe with Paul Byron and they seal the deal in game three and take a 2-1 series lead and I will bet the house that no one thought this was going to happen um Montreal going up 2-1 on Vegas and then game four tonight was it was it was crazy because I want to talk about Chris Lee and the officiating crew they should be fired they should be fired no matter who you're going for, you have to admit that these refs have been bad. Missing obvious, obvious, obvious calls on both sides of the table. You know, you have that Shea Weber board by Nosek. And then he comes back, gives a punch to the head, a cross check, Nosek slash. Nothing on all of that. Could have been, could have just taken both off for just being clowns. But... Easily that boarding call should have been called. It was a very dangerous play. Two minutes for boarding. You're setting the standard. And then the end of the period, you got Suzuki tied up with McNabb or McCloud or White Cloud. Straight jab to the face right in front of him. No call. No call. I'm cheering for the Habs, but I believe it was Weber or... Uh, I think it was Suzuki. He his Yanmark from behind, right in front of the officials. No call. Like these refs have to set a standard, or else they're gonna lose control of games, and things are gonna get ugly. Like these are obvious calls that they are missing, and it's it's turning into prison rules. And mind, I know playoff hockey. It's night. It's like it's fun, exciting, physical. But at some point, you have to be realistic and call the easy ones. Don't try and go out there and like call one because you missed one earlier. Call the penalties when they are in game changing or they're just obvious obvious calls. What are they? Are they wearing blindfolds and bird box? Like what is happening? Like they're missing obvious calls that are right in front of them and it's just it's completely terrible and the NHL needs to not let these refs do another game for the remainder of the playoffs or ever again the like they're terrible there's no other adjective to use besides terrible awful everything under that definition like they have been so bad for the game and yeah they just can't be allowed to ref another one for the remainder of the series so that's that um and yeah, so uh, Montreal, after the... Oh, and that hooking call. Man, <laughs> hooking call on Suzuki. You you miss everything before that, and then you call that little tap to the wrist a hooking. It didn't impact anything. Anything is unbelievable. But Montreal, they end up killing the penalty, and then Suzuki... Springs Paul Byron on a breakaway. One minute left in the period. one nothing Montreal. Huge, huge goal. Mon- Byron, 
placed on waivers three times this season. He, he scored multiple, multiple clutch goals in these playoffs for Montreal. So good to see. What a story, but beautiful, beautiful goal. And third period comes. Um, It's getting late. You know, it's getting late into the game, and McNabb, he just, William Carlson finds him out front, coming down just off the blue line, and he finds a little seam in Carey Price. It's very unrealistic or uncharacteristic goal by Price to let in, but the puck somehow finds a way through, and they tie it up 1-1. And one thing I was really happy to see out of Montreal is that they didn't light up. They didn't let that kill their confidence because they came out firing. Like They were, they were still playing with pressure. They're still getting some scoring chances from Perry, Anderson, Gallagher. Like they were they were playing like they belonged in that series and that's more than what I can ask for as a Montreal fan. I just want to not see them get absolutely smoked because they do deserve to be here. They've been playing well against every single opponent this playoffs. So they deserve every minute of this platform and they've proved it over and over again. But McNabb scores going into overtime. Uh, this guy, this wall guy, he's been he's been playing great. He scored some really clutch goals this series. But he, um, Pacioretty, off just a get the puck on net this is a complete definition of this chance. But he um, gets the puck on net and it bounces around Nick Wall with the patience. He waits, 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 outweights Price, and he just flips it up top two two series, man. This this is gonna be very very fun to watch because it's like it, you don't know what you're gonna expect, and Montreal's done a really good job of holding Vegas down. But the, these next games are crucial for Montreal. Like this game five is important because a very high percentage of teams who win game five go on to win the series, and you're going back to one of the if not the loudest barn in the NHL at full capacity with the tied series. Like, this game four was actually huge because, you know, like, going up 3-1 is a whole lot different than being tied 2-2. And it's not like you're going back to the Bell Center tied 2-2. You're going back to Vegas. Like, you're going back to the arena you do not want to be in. They're going to bring energy it's going to be scary. So you have to be ready to play. And game five, it's going to be one of the biggest games of the year for Montreal. So I think they can do it. They've proven time and time and again that they can win games, but it's you need to capitalize on chances. Carey Price, there's literally nothing more you can say about him because he's played clutch and clutch and clutch time and time again. So... Yeah, it's going to be uh, very interesting to see how Game 5 goes. But I do think Vegas will end up winning. But, man, I I think Montreal can do it. I think they can. But, yeah, I, uh, I'll i say Vegas in 7. I do. Uh, I Unfortunately, I think Vegas will um, um, top Montreal. But, man, I hope I am the most wrong person ever in my life. I hope it's Montreal in 6. I was hoping Montreal maybe five. I was, I did think that they were gonna win tonight, but they t- couldn't bring it home. So, yeah, that's the NHL talk, and that's episode forty-two. 
Um, if you guys made it the whole entire episode, I really appreciate it. I know it's a little different than usual with no guests, but I um I did my best to keep the energy up, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. But yeah, you uh, obviously know where to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, please give the podcast page a follow on Instagram and Twitter at left side heavy underscore. That's really important to me. I want to try and grow the show in so many ways and leave a rating and review on Apple podcast. Um, it helps just the algorithm do its job and get the podcast out there to more, a bigger demographic. And, um, I will be announcing, um, a contest and uploading it on Instagram and Twitter. So, Keep a lookout for that, and I'll be kind of promoting it more and more on episode 43, which will be coming out on June 30th. So be a lookout for that because I won't be uploading um, this upcoming week. Uh, yeah, this is um, this week's episode. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, intro, outro music. Tom Ivory featuring Six Man that is Savage on the Get Well Soon mixtape. Be sure to check it out on all music platforms wherever you get it. They got some shit coming this summer and it is going to be electric. So be sure to check them out. And yeah, I believe that's all. Cheers. Once again, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. And we'll see you next time. I just gotta let go. Went from ducking and fucking and now I got put in the friend zone. There's no need for discussion, I just really love how you get low But I'm dipping, I'm cutting the shorty, ain't worth being ten toes, ten toes I, I just gotta let go, call me a benzo, pay it all cash, I won't take no rentals, killing my vibe